Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher kechanu b'mitzvotah v'tzivanu la'asok b'divrei Torah. Veharevna Adonai Eloheinu et divrei Torah teka b'finu ufi amka b'et Yisrael, v'niye anaknu v'tzetzeinu v'tzetzei amka b'et Yisrael, kulano yodea shemeka v'lomde Torah teka lishma. Baruch atah Adonai, hamlame Torah le'amo Yisrael. Shlak na Mashiach ben David. Ken Yehidatzon. That is Hebrew for please send Mashiach now. Mashiach ben David in particular. Bezrat Hashem in 5781. By the way, welcome everyone to 5781. The year on the Hebrew calendar, Bezrat Hashem, we will merit the final redemption. Uh, if it doesn't happen anytime soon, may it happen sooner than later. Anyway, our focus until then is making sure that we do whatever we can to continue to study Torah, to continue to daven, to continue to repent, to continue to become new creations in Mashiach Yeshua. I mean, because that's really the thing. So this week we're in the middle of the high holy days, the days of awe known as Aseret Yamim, the 10 days, and Shabbat Shuva is coming up. This week's parsha is Parsha HaZinu, taking place in Devarim chapter 32. And I want to go ahead and just drop a Baal HaTurim insight because there is this thing about what's called Mazalot, a.k.a. the constellations, a.k.a. what people have commonly kind of uh, downgraded into zodiacs and horoscopes. So just to give you a little heads up that uh, mazalot is the correct term. And if you really want to bring that into English, it would be more along the lines of uh, constellations, which is not really connected to all that other stuff with the psychics and the divining and all that kind of stuff. And Devarim 32, verse 8, it says, When the Supreme One bestowed heritage upon nations, when He separated the children of man, He set the boundaries of the peoples according to the number of the children of Israel. Now, Yazev Gevulot, I mean, he set the boundaries of the peoples. So when you look at this word for boundaries, which is Gevulot, the first thing that you can see in this, just trying to make sure there's uh, nothing that I'm leaving out. Okay, Brukashim looking at some different words that are in there. I see the word lev in the middle. So in between the gimel and the bet, uh, there's the word for heart. But anyway, going on, it says, the term is spelled defectively without the letter vav. This indicates that there are 12 constellations because he set them according to the number of the children of Israel. Now it says 
the text, the Vav, follows the first printed edition. Many later editions have amended it to read Chaser um, without two letter Vavs. So, breaking this down, the word for Chaser is the word for defective. Because they're saying male de chaser, which is full yet defective, uh, i.e. the gevulot with the first vav, but without the second. So you can really spell this word gevulot by using two vavs. You can put it on the... If you're looking at Gevulot, you can put the Vav between the Bet and the Lamed, and between the Lamed and the Tav. Why is that important? Because 6 plus 6 is 12. So, Baal HaTurim is looking at the letter Vav, which equals 6, and this word Gevulot is missing 6 of those. And he's like, okay, so there's a defective spelling. Then it says... In the next footnote, the gematria of Vav is six, whereas the name of the letter Vav, which is sometimes spelled Vav Vav, the omitted Vav is seen as an allusion to the number 12, according to the Kli Yakar, to verse 13, and Itur Bikarim Matzeref La Kesif. In other words, Bahatorm is not making stuff up. It says, alternatively, the combined gematria of the two letters that are omitted is 12. And that's from Rabbi Chaim Kanivsky in his notes to Perush Harokeak. The next footnote says, as used here, the term Mazalot refers to the constellations of the Zodiac. See the Bahatorim to Vayikra 24.5, Leviticus 24.5, with notes 152 through 153, and also on Bami Bar 7.3 with note 96. So if you have Bahatorim and you want to get you some on Constellation, Mazalot, Zodiacs, 12 tribes, and all that, why do we have 12 months in a year? There you go. And uh, this is also connected to... The next drop here, it says, that is the number of the tribes of Israel, alternatively, alternatively, B'nai Yisrael, may be understood as the sons of Israel, i.e. Yaakov. So the 12 tribes are really the 12 sons. So when we're looking at the tribes, we have to think about the sons of Yaakov. Which is why commentaries bring down, especially the Kehert Humash, in the overview to Parshav Ezotabaraka, which we only study, well, secretly you can study it during all of Sukkot, if you really want to get you some, but we really only study it during Shemini Atzeret Simchat Torah, because we read the last few verses going into the first chapter of Bereshit. And that is super important because the Torah never ends. So there will never be a Shabbat where we read Vizotabaraka and end the Torah scroll. We always have the end looped in with the beginning 
and as our Havinger Shoresh Slita likes to point out, well, yeah, you can say Aleph to Tav, but don't forget, after Tav comes the Aleph. And I was like, thank you very much, Mr. Tree of Life. So when you look at this whole picture of what the Keher Tumash brings down about Vezoha Baraka, in the overview, it says that Moshe blesses the tribes while Yaakov blesses his sons. Yaakov, at the end of Sefer Bereshit, the book of Genesis, blesses his 12 sons. And then Moshe, at the end of Sefer Devarim, the book of Deuteronomy, blesses the 12 tribes. So you have this mirror image going on of, is it the 12 sons or is it the 12 tribes? And the answer is obviously yes. So when you think about all of the Talmudim found in Mashiach, you know, John chapter 17 stuff, now we can have even a more expanded uh, discussion on that. But I won't get into that now. I just wanted to mention this Bahatorim insight because I thought it was very, very interesting that it is due to the nation of Israel that we have all of our governing bodies of time and all of the understanding of the wisdom of the months, all of the different uh, constellations, the form of the stars, if you will, throughout the heavenlies as we rotate throughout the year and uh, how the name of Hashem, the four-letter name of Hashem, permutates 12 different ways is all according to the tribes. And, you know, this is really expounded out even more when you think about the fact of creation was in the merit of Abraham. And um, you look at the source of that with Shanae Lukota Brit and other sources. Now, Yaakov is the grandson of Abraham and then if you remember the Baba Batra 58A drop from this past Rosh Hashanah day two uh, teaching that I got to give with the grace of Hashem, that the divine image, which was Adam, was said to be Abraham, but it was also said to be Yaakov. And then other uh, Kabbalistic Hasidic insights say that Yaakov's face is engraved on the throne of Hashem and Shemaim. This comes from the parsha by Yetze, where Yaakov leaves home to go get a wife in Haran. And he ends up stopping at the Temple Mount. There's the ladder that comes down, the angels ascending and descending upon. And it says that in the Midrash, the angels ascended from Yaakov and he was laying down asleep. And then when they got to the top of the ladder, they saw the throne of God, but the face of Yaakov was there on the throne. And they're like, wait a minute, what is this? You know? And when you just kind of look at all of that, there's this understanding of if we're looking at the children of Yaakov, we're technically looking at the children of Abraham, Technically, looking at the children of the divine image, the children of the throne, like this whole look-alike thing. So that's why I brought that up, because 
we know that creation was brought forth through the Torah, which is likened to the Son of God, according to the Midrash from Proverbs on, you know, daily I was a nursling. I was his delight. He set me up before creation, that whole thing, before the depths and all that kind of stuff, that whole section of Proverbs. If you don't have commentary on that, please get you some commentary on that. It's amazing. So the son of God is projected out into creation through the tribes, which have their affiliate. Um, how do I put this? Basically, I'll just stick to mazel. They have their uh, associated mazel that happens during the 12 months of the year. And if you study out the months, you know, when we have a leap year, there's an extra month of Adar. And so the tribe that corresponds to the month of Adar, which I don't have in front of me at this point, I can look it up, though. Uh, there is a double portion uh, during that year. So let's see if I can find this real quick. 12 tribes, Mazalot. Looking through Magan, see what we got. Hmm. I know every time I try to look up Mazalot on here, I always get sidetracked and I can't ever find it. So may today be a different day because it's a brand new year. Oh, man. Baruch Hashem, there's a beautiful PDF file here. Okay. Adar corresponds to Naphtali, the fish. Of course, the two fish and the five loaves. Because, you know, Naphtali corresponds to the fish, which is Dagim. That's the month of... Uh, the month of Adar, Mashiach did the miracle with the two fish. I think that's important. Uh, the astronomical name of the Dagim, the fish, is Pisces. And so, why is it that Mashiach took two fish, specifically, in that miracle of the feeding of the 5,000? Well, maybe, just maybe. It has something to do with the tribe of Naphtali, which, by the way, rearranges to Tefillin, which, you know, we have the Tefillin is a set. It's two. So it's like two fish. We have a full Torah scroll on the arm and a broken up Torah scroll on our head. And so you have the two here. And Naphtali corresponds to the month of Adar. Sometimes there's two. But really, there's one. And so just kind of thinking along the lines, just to spark some thought. So I bring that up. And Bezrat Hashem, if you're listening to this podcast, you can kind of run with that. You know, one of the things to do that I'm finding out that if you really read our sources and really go back to the words of Mashiach Yeshua, you see how he teaches us to ask questions. And when he's asked a question, he gives an answer, but it's through a question. And just because it's really a cool concept, when you look at the word for question in Hebrew, it's the word shela, 
which means to inquire or request. And the word for answer in Hebrew is teshuva, which is response. And as we know, repentance. So the whole question and answer relationship, that which actually brings about insight, knowledge, and understanding, that is the relationship between requiring or uh, requesting and... Um, Yes, requesting and inquiring of Hashem and returning to Him. So through the question and the answer process, which if you look at the Talmud, it says the Gemara asks, the Gemara answers, or the Mishnah states, the Gemara asks a question and then there's an answer and all that kind of stuff. There's always this relationship of we're going to ask and then we're going to answer. And we're going to Shela and we're going to Teshuva. So anyway, I just thought that was a beautiful uh, thing to think about when you ask questions, because that brings more illumination. Uh, as it is written in Mishle, it is the glory of Hashem to conceal a thing. And it is the glory of kings to search it out. Let me make sure I quote that right. Because sometimes, you know, you get a little excited. And you got to make sure you keep things in the right way. Um, that was not what I was going for here. Stand by. Yes. Proverbs 25.2 is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings to search out a matter. Baruch Hashem. So Yeshua says, ask and seek and find, knock, all those beautiful things. That is the Shelah, the requesting, the inquiring of Hashem. And then that brings about Teshuvah. So, what I want to go with first is Mashiach, who, what, when, where, how, and all of that by Rabbi Kramer. This is a Breslev work. And, um, just want to make sure here. Sleek Odds by Chaim Kramer. Do not believe he is going by the term rabbi. Okay, so by Chaim Kramer on page 23, because I was talking about Shlach Na Mashiach, which is totally my new phrase with Kili Shuateka Kiviti Hashem, which I, I want it all. I want, want final redemption. I want to do whatever we can do to get Mashiach here. So Shlach Na Mashiach, please send Mashiach. You know, that phrase is, if you look at the first letter of each word, it's Sheen, Noon, Mem. Sheen, Noon, Mem rearranges to Sheen, Mem, Noon, which is the word Shemin, which is the word for oil. So it says, upon the Mashiach will descend a spirit 
of God, a spirit of wisdom, understanding, a spirit of advice and strength, a spirit of knowledge of and fear of God, and he shall breathe the fear of God. He will not judge by what he sees, nor by what he hears, he will judge righteously. Yeshayahu 11, 2 through 4. Mashiach is so called because he will be specially anointed as the verse states, Telling 45, 8, you loved righteousness and despised wickedness. Therefore, God will anoint you, which is the word Meshokaha, which is with the oil of joy. Fine oils and perfumes attract people. Like fine oil, the Mashiach will have the power to draw the whole world to his teachings. See Lakute Halakot, Birkat Hareak 3.8 and 4.5. In fact, Mashiach is so fully bound up with the concept of fine aroma that his sense of smell is extremely acute. The Talmud thus teaches Sanhedrin 93b. The Mashiach will be able to judge by his sense of smell. One of the things I want to make sure that we all get down that when it, we come before Hakadosh Baruchu for being judged, it's through smell. It's not through anything else. Many people think, "Oh, well, let me just make sure my deeds are good. Let me just make sure I put on a good face," you know. But when you think about smell in the spiritual world, you know that's a whole totally different thing. Like what makes the smell of the korbanot pleasing to Hashem? The answer to that is reach nikoach, which is a pleasing aroma, is our teshuva. It is our brokenness of heart and returning to God, our yearning for purity, our yearning to draw close to God. If we're making sacrifices or if we're serving God, if we're being observant, if we're studying Torah, if we're praying, and we don't have any of that in mind, we are like stinky before God. So Mashiach will judge by smell. It says the idea can be carried further. The world was chaos and confusion with darkness upon the depths, but the spirit of God hovered over the waters. Bereshit 1-2 The spirit of God which is Ruach Elohim, refers to the Mashiach. Bereshit Rabbah 2.4, Zohar, Volume 1, 240a. The Midrash teaches that the chaos, confusion, darkness, and depths, etc. refer to the sufferings of this world. What sustains a person through all his suffering? In other words, what's above all of the chaos? What's above all of the suffering? You know, I'm thinking about Yeshua saying, My peace I give to you, not as the world gives. Take heart, I've overcome the world. Like, I've overcome all of this suffering. Again, Kepha, in his letter, uh, chapter 4, he says, Anyone who suffer is done with sin. What is sin? It's brokenness. It's darkness. It's a part of this chaos. But if you rise above that, now you're talking where the spirit of Mashiach is. So if you think about the spirit of Mashiach, which is the Torah of Mashiach, the teachings, the words, the essence, 
the lifestyle of the Mashiach, it is above all of the chaos. Now, think about your life right now, me included. I think about my life and it's like, where is there chaos in my life? That indicates that there is a dip there that is not up there where the Mashiach is. Mashiach says, when I'm lifted up, I draw men unto me. So if we lift up Mashiach, if we put above us, lift above our eyes, as it says in Isaiah, Sumarom Enekim, lift above your eyes, which is the acronym of the Shema. When we get into that posture, that's us taking up on ourselves the yoke of the Mashiach, which will pull us up to where he is, because when you're yoked with the Mashiach, you're yoked up to him, which is why it's called Kabbalat Ol. You are receiving elevation. Ol is Ayin Lamed, which is the root of Ola, which is the word for go up, like to ascend, as in the Korban Tamid, which is known as a Ola offering, a whole burnt offering. So you become wholly consumed in the Mashiach, pulled up out of the chaos, pulled up out of sin. Which is interesting because it's through suffering that that happens. Hence why we have to bind ourselves as a daily offering unto God. We have to be broken in order to be pulled up. So going on to say, the Midrash teaches the chaos, confusion, darkness, and depths, etc. Refer to the sufferings of this world. What sustains a person through all his suffering? Hope for a better future. Light at the end of a long tunnel. And if a person, overwhelmed by his suffering, faints and must be revived, smelling salts are used. God created this world with all the chaos necessary to direct us away from spirituality. However, he also created and placed in our midst the means for survival and hope. Mashiach. The spirit of Mashiach is a ray of hope to which we can cling. The sweet smelling fragrance of joy and expectation that everything will turn out for the best. See the Kute Halakot Birkat Hareach 421. So, just go ahead and jump on over to our passage in Yochanan. Well, I just got an email from uh, the Daily Wisdom. Why don't we read that now? Because the first word, it says, Healing the World. That's the title. So as of this podcast, it is now Yom Hamishi, my favorite day of the week. It says, fifth day, it's my favorite day of the week. Not that you uh, needed to know that, but I just wanted to share with you because I'm so transparent, apparently. It goes on to say, God told Moshe to inform the Jewish people that after they would receive their corrective punishment for their lapse in loyalty, punishment and uh, failure to uphold the word of God usually comes via a lapse in loyalty to the covenant. God would comfort them and punish those who had persecuted them. So it cites Devarim 32, verse 39, I will strike, or I strike, and I heal. 
The Hebrew word for strike is machatzi. Machatzi. Slika. Machatzi. And is related to the word for barrier or partition, which is mechitza. Yes, the big wall that you see at the chasuna, the wedding. And there's men on one side, women on the other side. Separation, because we modest like that. That makitza, that's a dividing thing. It says, the sickness that the world presently suffers from is the artificial barrier between the spiritual and the material. The difficulty we experience in trying to sense the spiritual in what we do or in trying to apply our inspiration to our daily lives is the true definition of exile. The difficulty we experience in trying to sense spiritual in what we do or in trying to apply our inspiration. That's the definition of exile. So how come we can't see spirituality in anything uh, easily? You know, when we were in the garden, we could easily see the fruits of our labor. But now we work. And it's like, dude, is there anything happening? Like, that's exile. Can't really see things. This is probably why we were exhorted and admonished. Walk by faith and not by sight. And remember, the things that you can't see are eternal. The things you can see are temporal. If we could really get that down into our souls, I think, and I know, I believe, I trust that life would be different. You know, we don't sometimes see the effects of our sin, but we know sin is not good. But sometimes... Do we really grasp how horrible sin actually is and what it actually does in the realm of that which we cannot see? And to be on a lighter note, how about the things that we do that are positive and great and kedusha oriented? We can't see the effect of that either. Sometimes we can see the the fruits of it, but not the fullness of it, you know. You study Torah for real and you pray for real. You do acts of kindness for real. You help your household as best you can. I mean, yeah, you'll see a little bit of that. Like happy wife, happy life. Kids are like, you're the coolest parents in the world kind of thing. But, you know, you don't really get like, mm, like okay, I see the full effect of everything. Well, that's because we're in exile. So it goes on to say, in the Messianic era, God will heal this split. See, Shlach na Mashiach HaKadosh Baruchu, please send him now. Okay, the dividing barrier will be transformed into a connecting doorway. I'm just shaking my head because as much of a division that we see now, imagine as much of an access point that'll be wow so that'll be healed it'll turn into a doorway enabling the spiritual and the material to once again unite this is how evil will be eliminated in the future god will be so revealed that evil which is the denial of god 
which if you really look up the definition of evil, it's substituting truth for not truth or distorting or corrupting the truth. It says it will simply cease to exist. It follows that the way to hasten the messianic era is by taking care to refine even the lowest aspects of our material lives, infusing them with as much spirituality as we can by living messianic lives. In this way, we are doing our part to nullify the exile. Source Sefer Ma'amarim 5330 or 5730 page 211 through 212. This is from Daily Wisdom, Parsha Hazinu, fifth reading. Now, I want to connect that to something I just got to read on um, Lakute Torah. Hazinu, about the two different types of Jews, says some people tend to separate between occupational Torah learners and the working man thinking that only the Torah scholar is truly serving God as he intended. In truth, however, Hashem himself made this separation of souls and Hashem himself gave both types of souls, the tools for becoming close to him. It is not an embarrassment or a lower social level to be a hard working Torah Jew. And Hashem did not create all Jews to be occupational Torah learners. So, both types of souls, whether you're able to really do a lot of Torah study and a lot of learning and teaching and all of that, maybe it's your full-time job to study Torah, or maybe you're a hard worker and you barely have any time to sleep and you barely get to study, but on Shabbat you make up the difference and all of that, Baruch Hashem. Regardless of where you fall on either end of that spectrum or in the middle, what you do, you have tools for coming close to Hashem. So it's not an embarrassment. You know, and this is something that's really good for us to get into our soul as well, because sometimes we think, Let's be a one-man army. I need to do all three prayer times. I need to uh, get all the Torah portions studied. I need to read every single one of my books, every single page of the Siddur, every single page of the Midrash or the Humash. And it's like, whoa, missing the point. Because if you're so caught up into that that you neglect your household, first of all, or if you're so caught up into that that you're not focused on work, you're not being a good employee, you know, or if you're looking down upon other people because they don't get as much time to do these things, that's not good. It really isn't because, again, we're we're misunderstanding, as it says here. Hashem did not create all Jews to be occupational Torah learners. Now, I don't know where this comes from, but there seems to be something, at least from my personal experience, of the tendency of a guilt to be like, man, you know, because I work so much or because I had to work overtime today, I missed Minka, 
because it was just work, 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 go, go, go. And it's like, oh, I hated it, you know. Or, you know, I had to get up so early and go to work today that I did not get a chance to do a full shakarit. I got to say Shema, yes, you know. But as I was talking to Nova Shlita, he was saying, you know, some of the little things like the Modayani, taking that for granted is worse than just, you know, looking at Hashem and just cursing him, for lack of a better term. I mean, it really went deeper than that, but... We cannot afford to think certain prayers are less than other prayers. If you get to say any prayer to Hashem, you should be greatly rejoicing because why? You're attaching to the Father. And if you understand what each prayer is all about, you would be grateful just to even say a few words. For instance, the Modeani. The first word, mode, comes from the word for admit, connected to the word for confess, connected to the word for thanksgiving. So literally what you're saying is, Hashem, I confess before you, mode ani lefaneka, melekai, O living king. So you're accepting Hashem as your king, confessing and admitting to him, like literally the salvation prayer, as you are realizing that Hashem has restored your soul to you. And you're thanking Hashem for that. Now, I don't know if you know this, but if your soul doesn't make it back into your body after you sleep throughout the night, it's kind of impossible for you to move about in this world and to get anything accomplished. Because you'd be what's called dead. So to just grab a hold of the Modeani, wow, take it seriously. So shouts out to Nova for really painting that in a beautiful way. And again, saying the Shema is what we're required to when we retire and when we arise. So if you're not really into the Shema, and you're trying to do a whole bunch of other stuff, or if you don't ever get to do anything but the Shema, we should be extremely grateful for that opportunity. So take our prayers seriously. Take any verse of Torah seriously, even if you just get a phrase. Think back to times in history where people didn't have nearly as many books as we had. They were grateful for one insight. How many insights have we had as Lapid, as Sar Shalom, as Torah-centered, uh, Yeshua-centered Judaism, you know, Torah-observant Judaism-centered in Messiah Yeshua? How many drops have we had? You know, just think about that for a minute. Every single time all the Avengers out there or all of our fellow attenders, attendees, all of our HCOs, all of our shul congregate members, anyone affiliated. Think about how many times you've either tagged and said something or you've shared an insight or heard an insight. Each insight is a priceless pearl. 
Pearl of Great Price. And we want to study so, so much and get so much and glean so much and just go for so much. And it's like, what have we learned? We have forgotten more Torah than many people will learn in a lifetime. And we don't think about that sometimes. And if there's ever been inspiration to go back and look at your notes, to look at things that you've acquired, to look back at things you've highlighted or tabbed, Selah, may it be so that we take this moment and this time to do so. We should be extremely grateful. There's a lot of darkness and chaos in the world. And here you are having someone, regardless of how much they get to pray or get to study, they just love Hashem. Somewhere along the lines that has been overlooked, forgotten, and just absolutely neglected for the sake of look how much halakha I have. Look how much mitzvot I keep. Look how Jewish I have become. Mashiach Yeshua said, go out into all the world and make disciples. He didn't say, like, go and make super Jews. He said, go make people who are concerned about being attached to me, looking like me, being so caught up in me. He said, we're to teach what he's taught us. I mean, that's far beyond anything that today we see as highlights, you know. Wow, I've read a whole tractate of Talmud in less than a year. You know, I'm I'm doing Mishnah this, I'm doing you know, whatever you want to put there. You know, I've tied my own zizi, but have you taught anybody else to do so? Have you even shown anybody what zizi are? You know, do you even take the impact of zizi upon you as a thing? You know, I, I just, I have to just kind of belabor this point because whoever's listening to this this is what we're called to for 5781 the world isn't getting better it's actually getting worse because the very people who are in charge of and who are called stewards of creation are snuffing out the light telling people they can't convert telling people to keep the Noahide laws just letting people spin off into oblivion and do whatever they want and not causing any joy in the mitzvot, but locking it down into like this, I don't know, social club, just upper echelon, we don't want anybody here type thing. And you have people who don't know Hebrew, they're intimidated galore, like super intimidated of even approaching the Torah. Help someone pray. Help someone look at their Siddur. 
help someone learn how to look at the verses in the Torah, like on the Hebrew side. See this letter? This letter right here, this is an olive. So look for the semicolon in this section. And after the semicolon, that's where verse olive starts, which olive is one. And so you do little things like that to people. Help them understand in Aliyah is a certain number of verses from each Torah portion we read every day. So that by the end of the week, you've read the full Torah portion. So you don't have to sit down and read the whole Torah portion at once. Just pick up with today. If you've forgotten to do the previous Aliyah, just start with today. Start where you are. You know, people don't understand Kashrut. They don't understand Zanut. Help them. Be gentle with them. Yeshua says, take my yoke upon you. I am humble. I am gentle. Like, where is this steamrolling people into, into observance coming from? So, may we be people who are softened in our hearts and who care about reaching down to people. Let's literally bring light into the world. There's another insight from this Mashiach book by Mr. Kramer, and it says this. Let's see here. Because it was talking about the Torah was concealed. I don't know if I'm going to be able to find it. Just a few things I was super excited about. Yeah. Don't think I can find it. Ah. Baruch Hashem, just when I was about to give up. Okay, page 99. We have seen that, or we have just seen that Mashiach will be able to reveal to everyone the what, how, and when of serving God. This right here is why if you're a believer in Yeshua and you're Torah observant, this is how crucial we are. If we really bring forth the essence to people, Yeshua we just need to get them attached and connected and say, hey, make sure you love God more than anything else. Because out of that love, it's going to drive you to say, what can I do to serve you, God? Because the the what, the how, and the when, that's going to come. But you need the why. And it says, the next obvious question is, what does this mean? How and when? Mean how and when to strengthen ourselves, to do or refrain from doing, to move forward, to wait, to be patient, etc. But what directives will there be? The answer is the Torah. The Rambam writes, the Torah, its laws and its directives is eternal forever and ever. 
One cannot add to it, nor can one subtract from it. That's from Yad HaChazaka, Melakim 11.3. The word Torah comes from the root Torah, which means to teach or reveal. And in this instance, it means to show which path is the right one to walk when serving God. Thus, the Torah can show us what we must do in order to come close to God. The Torah is eternal and has guided the spiritual search for God since creation. Think about Yeshua. You know, Philip says, show us the father. He goes, how long have I been with you? How can you ask me to show you the father? If you've seen the son, you've seen the father. Because it says the Torah can show us what we must do in order to come close to God. The whole section about if you've seen the son, you've seen the father is all in this this area talking about the way, the truth, the life. The Torah is what shows us that the image of the son shows us the father. Remember, the divine image of Hashem is the Torah, it's Yaakov, it's Abraham, it's Adam. It's Yeshua. The image of the invisible God, Colossians 1, goes on to say, the Talmud teaches that Adam, Noah, and the patriarchs studied and observed the Torah. See Eruvin 18b, Rashi on Bereshit 7-2, Kiddushin 82a. However, it was concealed then from most people. Now, pay attention to this next sentence. This is why the world was in a state of chaos for its first 2,000 years. It was concealed while Adam, Noah, and the patriarchs studied and observed it. It was concealed from most people. So we have got to put the Torah out there for people to see it. Whatever people gravitate towards, let them have it. I'll give you a quick example that I introduced Hala to one of my coworkers. And I showed him, hey, we have this on Friday nights. And I didn't really get into the logistics of, you know, what it means and all of that kind of stuff in the kiddish. But I just basically let him know this. there's this bread. He saw me eating it, and he's like, what is that? And I'm like, this is hollow. He's like, what? Is, okay. So I just kind of gave him the, we do this on Friday nights. This is a time with our family. We, we have prayers that we say to get into the Shabbat. It's a beautiful time. We have this loaf of hollow. The wife usually makes it, you know, and all of this kind of stuff. Or the woman in the household or the man of the household, however, whoever wants to make it. It's technically the woman's mitzvah, but if the woman is not available, obviously you can do that. So, or if y'all know Shana Ruth Shlita, she, uh, in our community, she sells it and you can go get you some. So, you know, Brugashem, shouts out to her. All right. But, uh, yeah, so I was like, okay, so here's what you do. You warm it up a little bit, you know, put it in the oven, wrap in tinfoil, and you can take you some butter and d dip that in honey, you know, and boom. This kid 
was like, what in the world did you just give me? This is so awesome. So amazing. And so now he's like, when, when is the next time we're going to have Holla? And I'm like, calm down. I need to have some first, you know, kind of thing. Cause I love Holla, obviously. So I was like, okay, listen, you can go to Tom Thumb and you can get you some Holla for Tom Thumb. So it turns out there's a Tom Thumb next to where we work. It's a grocery store. He goes there. He goes to the bakery, asks for challah. They give him challah, and he eats it. He loves it. It's amazing. He's eating challah on Fridays. Brukashim. So I'm like, wow, nice. You know, same thing, ladies. Candle lighting. Get get the lady to light some candles, regardless of if she cooks or goes out to party or whatever. Um, if she's lighting candles, come on. You know, someone who knows uh, the name of Yeshua, someone who knows something called a Torah portion, someone who builds a sukkah and sits in it, you know, regardless of if they have other decorations that they put in it that are not kosher, at least are sitting in a sukkah and they're not kicking it because Tractate of Odazera says the nations in the time to come are going to be like, no, we don't want this ugly sukkah and they walk out and kick it, you know, and it's just like if someone's going to be in the sukkah rejoicing, obviously we'd rather that be the case. So anyway, we have to put the Torah out there so people can have access to it. So then that led me to thinking about Shabbat Shuvah that's coming up. And I mentioned that every Jew has the power of a minion. So, Individual Jews count as 10 people during the days of the 10 days of repentance between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Well, I was going back in the Lakute Torah and I couldn't find it. And I was freaking out and I started praying to Hashem. Please, Hashem, don't let me have misquoted that source. Like, I know I read it, please. You know, he had mercy on me. So blessed be Hashem. Shabbat Parsha Hazinu Shabbat Shuva. Eighth day of Tishrei 5740, corresponding to the year 1979, that this came down via the Lubavitcher Rebbe, Rabbi Menachem M. Schneerson. Here's what it says. It brings down. The word Teshuvah means to return to God. The name Shabbat Shuva implies that the service of the day is devoted to that goal. The word Shuva also means return. However, it implies that in addition to our own return or working with someone else to return. Listen, our Teshuva or helping someone else make teshuva. The service of Shabbat Shuvah involves fusing both activities together in a single service. Not only should we be making teshuva, but we should also be helping other people. Again, revealing Torah to them, getting them connected on whatever level they are willing to take. It's a single service. And it says the concept of returning alone as an individual is particularly relevant to the 10 days of Teshuvah. 
The Talmud explains that during these days, the the prayers that we recite individually have the same power as those normally recited in a communal service. Nonetheless, even during these days, communal prayer still has a higher quality. In fact, this higher quality provokes a question. How can one's service be restricted to oneself? However, since we see that the name Shabbat Teshuva has spread throughout all sectors of the Jewish community, it is obvious that the service which that name implies is acceptable. For that reason, Torah law advises that even when it is impossible to pray with a minion, one should at least try to pray the same time as a minion is praying. So, you know, the whole thing, time and space, like transcending it. If you can't be in the same space, pray during the same time. Because that's the power we have as Jews is to pray at the same time. And it's as if we're praying at the same place. Or at least we're praying together. And it's as if we are in like literally in the same place. Like, so if you know the minion is praying at 10, you pray at 10 and you're praying in a minion. This also is a concept brought down, by the way, in antiquity with the synagogue system and the way it was formed, that all throughout Israel, not everyone could go to the temple every day, but you can meet in your town square and have your gathering, your Beit Knesset, if you will, your house of gathering, that everybody gathered during the time that the morning lamb was offered. They gathered again during the time that the evening lamb was offered. You know, so you have these prayer times already going that people are praying in a minion because they're praying in accordance with the same time as what is going on in the temple. We have these things called Zamanim or Halakhic times, and you can get all kinds of apps. You can also Google it. You can Hebcal it, you know, and all this kind of stuff. Get the calendar on your phone and all of that. And if you stay within those time frames, you're going to be praying in synchronization with other Jews throughout the entire globe. Goes on to say as well that the Zohar brings out this higher quality in the communal prayer and its commentary on the dialogue between Elisha and the Shunammite woman that is quoted in the book of Kings. Elisha asked her what can be done for you should I speak to the king the king in this verse refers to God king of kings now just stop for a minute because Yeshua is called king of kings but yet it says God is king of kings it says Elisha was asking her if she wanted to be mentioned in his prayers she answered I dwell among my people she did not desire to be considered as an individual, but as a part of the entire collective. Why? Because she was afraid that if she was considered an individual, she would be judged more closely and perhaps found wanting in certain particulars. It is important to note that this story took place on Rosh Hashanah demonstrating how even during the 10 days of repentance, the service as 
a collective entity possesses an advantage. So yeah, so you may be praying alone and you can pray during the same time as another minion that's meeting that you may know of or may not know of, but you stay in the halakhic times. Or you're praying by yourself and you have the power of a minion because Hashem is close to us during these days. And that Talmudic portion was Yevamot 49b, which says, And when is the auspicious time when God can be found with respect to the prayers of an individual? The Gemara answers. See, the Gemara inquires, right? Shelah. The answer to Shuva. It says, Rav Nachman said in the name of Rabbah Bar Avuha. These are the 10 days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. So, that is the source for the minion. The other thing I wanted to mention about Shabbat Shuvah says the Shabbat between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur is called Shabbat Shuvah, Shabbat of return, because its special haftarah begins, or reading begins with the words Shuvah Yisrael, return, O Israel, from the prophecy of Hosea. It is also referred to as Shabbat Shuvah because it falls during the 10 days of repentance, which is Teshuvah. The prayer service on this Shabbat is the same as an ordinary Shabbat, with the exception of the additions that are made to the Shemoni Esrei, the Amidah, throughout the 10 days of repentance. So, it's beautiful to be able to talk about Teshuvah and this upcoming Shabbat as we prepare for Yom Kippur as we're studying Parsha HaZinu. So, one last thing before we actually go to HaZinu is... Uh, the number 50 with the wisdom, Jewish wisdom and the numbers. Page 308 says the process of teshuva, which is repentance itself is related to Bina. It says in the Amidah, the blessings of teshuva is juxtaposed to Bina, Megillah 17b. See Shela HaKadosh, which is to inquire of the Holy One. Hulin Torah or 63, Shela Toldot, Ha'adam, Beit Kokma the second. And it says, See Rabbi Zadoka Cohen, pre Zadik, Tuba'av 6, as to how the level of the 50 gates of understanding, which is the 50 gates of Bina, is the level of knowledge given to a penitent. Now, put that with Moshe ascending Mount Nebo this is brought down from Rabbi Yossi Lu uh, back in 2014 Goes on to say, the Torah records the final moments of Moshe's 
or the final moments of Moshe on this earth in this way. Moshe went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo. Devarim 34.1 When spelled in Hebrew, the word Nebo teaches the mystics Nun Bet Vav, which can be read as Nun Bo, or the 50th is in him. This is a reference to the statement of the Talmud, Rosh Hashanah 21b. The world was created with 50 gates of understanding. So the world was created with the knowledge of Teshuvah. So think about why are we new creations in Mashiach? My last podcast, I talked about Mashiach being the 50 gates. So if you're in Messiah, you are in Teshuvah. You're constantly being made new. You're constantly being born again. If you ever stop, that's not a good sign. So please continue. So it says that the world was created with the 50 gates of understanding. And remember, creation is renewed every single day. As we say in the blessings of the Shema. Page 91, I know, is the actual declaration. But let's go back. A paragraph where it says, Give thanks to him who makes the great luminaries for Slika. Go back one statement. In his goodness, he renews daily, perpetually, the work of creation. Teshuva is daily, perpetual, like the creation, because creation was brought forth through the 50 gates, which is accessed through Teshuva, which is the knowledge, the, the understanding, the Bina. So it goes on to say, and they were all given to Moshe except for the 50th. On the last day of his life, however, Moshe was granted access to the elusive 50th. The 50th was indeed in him. So it was upon Moshe's death after he ascended the mountain that he actually made the reach the access of the 50 gates. So if you think about that with everything that Moshe was able to teach, do, show, and all of that, and here we are as penitents having access to everything, now we can understand the whole drop of out of the mouth of babes, become like children, um, that God has revealed such things to us that even sages and scholars of former times, you know, haven't uh, been able to see. And I was actually a part of a, a, a chat thread uh, that was talking about this. And it was just this really neat moment of saying, you know, there are things that we're getting to study as Jews who are Torah observant, centered in Messiah Yeshua. We're getting to see things that most Jews don't get to see. You know, we're seeing stuff that's point blank blatant in the text. And it's like. You know, you go to any yeshiva you want to try to get into, uh, and they're not studying that kind of stuff. And so it's just kind of like, all right, we should be very, very grateful for what we do see and what we do get to study. And so it says Moshe had completed all that he could and his mission on this earth had ended. From here and on, a new focus was expected. Moshe was thus elevated to the highest level, the 50th. Moshe at this stage was taken to Shemaim. 
for those remaining on earth and actually turning 50 years old, it is hoped that they last for at least another 70 years in this world. It is also hoped that at 50, one clearly acquires abilities that are liberating, cleansing, transcending. The expectations are now higher. This is why when you understand the Torah of Mashiach versus the general Torah, Yeshua says we're to go beyond. Don't just think, oh, you know, um, don't. Let, let's read one. Let's let's go ahead and go to one of the passages in Matthew. It's Matthew 5 through 8. So let's go ahead and hop in the middle. Let's go to 7. Uh, no, let's back up. Because I want to do one of the you've heard it said. All right, let's go with uh, Matthew 5.38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You know, compensation. So you damage someone's eye, you need to pay reconciliation in accordance with how much it costs to fix the damage. Verse 39, it says, but I tell you, do not resist an evildoer, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn to him also the other and the one wanting to sue you and to take your shirt. Let him also have your coat. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. give to the one who asks of you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Very, very, very intriguing that this is the level that we're called to. Don't just fulfill the requirement. Go beyond. This is the whole thing of a Hasid. The Hasid is the one who breaks through the barriers, breaks through the standards and goes beyond to higher levels. That's what we're called to do in Mashiach. Uh, just because let's read verse 43, you have heard it said, or you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I mean, that's hefty. Someone is just giving you the, you know what? They're just telling you what you need to know. And it's like, all right, Brugashem, now go pray for them. Now, the Wellsprings of Torah says that if you're embarrassed, especially in public, the moment you begin to pray from that point, that moment you have that you take to pray, your prayer is answered. You know? So, obviously, make sure we're not praying for people's uh, downfall and stuff like that. But Yeshua tells us we need to pray for those people. Because remember, the Citra Akra is really the the manipulator behind everything. So it's really not flesh and blood that we're getting tripped up on. It's actually the Yatahara. And someone's allowing the Yatahara to use them to be the persecutor, to be the slanderer, to be the talebearer, to be the gossiper, to be the one who just tears you down with their words or actions. So you should be praying for that person to be delivered from that. 
You know, you think about Judas, it was just like, woe unto the one to whom this has to happen. Like Yeshua is betrayed by Judas. It's just kind of like, Judas, don't let, don't let Satan do you like that. You know, and it's just like, well, I am going to, and it's just like, and he did. And it's just kind of like, wow. So, you know, pray for our enemies, pray for those who persecute us. That's the level we're called to. So now, with that being said, value of a pasuk is where I want to go with this. And as it talks about Parsha Hazinu, it says, The mitzvah of writing a Sefer Torah is derived from the Torah's directive to write this song, which may be explained to be Shirat Hazinu. So this write the song of Hazinu is where the mitzvah for writing a Torah scroll comes from. So the commandment for write a Torah scroll is based off of writing a song. So when you're writing the Torah, like when you're being a sofer to write the Torah, you're literally writing a song. So soferim are basically kind of pretty much songwriters. Whether you're writing the Shema or whether you're writing a actual Torah scroll, like, you know, you're writing the little parchment to put in the mezuzah or you're writing the parchment that go in the tefillin or the haftarot you know if you're writing the torah you're literally writing a song and i thought that was interesting because when you go back to bereshit bereshit rearranges to beshir aleftav in the song of the aleftav so songwriting is the Torah. The Torah is a song. This is why we trope. We sing it. The troping is meant to bring out the emotion, the intent, the meaning behind the words. There are little markings that give us indications of how to do it. And so the troping, we have all these different variances of them. Let me just give you a few things. This is from Jew FAQ that brings this down. Yep. And uh, it's a really, really good website, by the way, just to give us some some good sources to look up if you're on the web. So. Let's see here. The use of different systems for different purposes illustrates this point. The trope for Megillat Esther read on the joyous holiday of Purim is mostly a light and joyous melody, except in the places where the story and the story that indicate foreboding, the trope for Megillat Eka lamentation read on the mournful day of Tishbab is in a mournful tune and all of that. So there's very, very different types 
It says there are also different systems of trope from different regions. Although the melodies most commonly used today, even in Israel, are the ones from Poland and Lithuania, there are systems from Germany, Jerusalem, Spain slash Portugal, Italy, and Yemen that you will hear in various places. You will also hear simplified versions of melodies sometimes. These versions are used to teach children who commonly learn trope as a part of their bar or bar mitzvah training. And that training tends to stick into adulthood. I'll tell you, we had a gentleman at our synagogue when I made Aliyah to the Torah to read for Parsha Vayelik. He was just like, that's my Torah portion that you read. I know exactly where you were. I remember it. Good job. And I was like, whoa, sir, like, where are you coming from? Like, he he knew what part, you know, and I'm just kind of like, he did his bar mitzvah when, you know, it wasn't last week. And I think to myself from week to week, trying to remember what I read, much less, I, I, I don't even know how to trope. And it's just like, this kid this young man was like all over it. And I was like, wow. And here it is. You train to and learn troping. It can stick with you even years later. <sighs> so beautiful to think about the Torah being a song. And let me just keep reading. It says the Torah explicitly declares that the purpose of writing the song of Hazinu is that this Shira should be a witness before B'nai Israel when misfortune befalls them. The Torah is a song of pick-me-up from misfortune. You're feeling like something happened in your life, there's troubles, things like that, as is stated, it says here in value of Pasuk, and it will be that when many evils and troubles will find them, and this song will answer before them as a witness again the word answer is teshuva so the song of teshuva is parsha hazinu the song of answer to all of our troubles and evils that we face the varim 31 21 the torah uses the word raot to designate evil times times of misfortune or trouble since the purpose of writing Shira Tazinu is that it should be a witness in times of trouble, the Pasuk in the Shira, which uses the word Ra'ot, captures the essence of the mitzvah of writing the Shira, as well as writing a Sefer Torah. So, I have a gentleman who I work with, and I asked him about, you know, the essence of music to him. And he said this, Music in its exact design is to provide the mind with stimulation. I think whether you're listening to music that caters to your uplifting or downsetting, it's virtually an essence that provides the individual with some sort of clarity slash euphoria. So in some sense, therapy is within the music realm naturally. At least musically inclined people can find themselves traveling with the music mentally. I'm sure 
every human being has a peace they can find peace with or certain nostalgia slash happiness and yes he did a pun with peace like a peace like a part of and a peace like a shalom so for what that's worth about the torah here and i want to take us to the yokanon passage john chapter 16 starting in verse 33 these things i've spoken to you so that in me you may have shalom in the world you will have trouble but take heart i have overcome the world this is Yeshua singing to us the song of Ha Azinu. He's like, listen, take heart. Give ear, O heavens. Give ear, O earth. Let every part of your being receive these words. Going on into chapter 17, Yeshua spoke these things. Then lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so the son may glorify you even as you gave him authority over all flesh. So may he give eternal life to all those you have given him. So, you know, Asher, Natan, Lanu, Torat, Emet, you know, the eternal life has been bestowed in us because of the Torah, who he has given to us. There it is right there in John chapter 17, verse 2. Verse 3, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, which is the word da'at. The Torah is called eshtat, the fire knowledge of Hashem. So knowing Hashem is eternal life. Having the Torah is eternal life. The only true God and Yeshua HaMashiach, the one you sent. I glorified you on earth by finishing the work that you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world came to be remember mashiach emptied himself of all this as philippians 2 brings down so now Yeshua's like all right let's fill it up verse 6 i have made your name known to the men of this world that you gave me they were yours you gave them to me and they have kept your word now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. The words which you gave me, I have given to them. They received them and truly understood that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. I ask, which is the word Shelah, on their behalf not on behalf of the world do I ask, but on behalf of those you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name that you have given me, so that they may be one just as we are one. So remember what the name of the Torah is and that the name of the Torah is the name of Hashem. So taking upon ourselves the name of Hashem, just like Israel, Hashem, and the Torah are one. Like in order for us to be in Hashem, in order for us to be in Yeshua, we have to be in the Torah, which are the very words and essence of Yeshua, HaMashiach.
says, while I was with them, I was keeping them in your name that you have given me. I guarded them and not one of them was lost except the son of destruction. So that scripture would be fulfilled. The only one lost was the one who gave himself to the Yetzirah. So remembering the aspect of Teshuva before creation, Midrash Tankuma Buber, Naso 19, it says, how many things preceded the act of creation? Thus have our masters taught seven things preceded the world. They are the throne of glory, the Torah, the temple, see Sifrei Devarim 712, the ancestors of the world, Israel, the name of the Messiah, and repentance. And it goes on to break each one of those down. And here's what it says for repentance. quite a few things in here hold on it's all out of order sleek huh Here it is. In the case of repentance, Telim 90 verse 2, before the mountains were brought forth, since it is written in verse 3, return humanity to contrition and say, repent, you children of Adam. Telim 90 verse 2 is the proof text cited by the Majorash Tankuma that repentance was before creation, which is what Yeshua was saying. Bring that back, Father. Uh, Glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had before the world came to be. The place where repentance already existed, where the temple already existed, where Israel already existed, the patriarchs. All those seven things that we just mentioned. So now, as I was looking at this verse in value of a pasuk, it says... They focus on the verse, Devarim 32, verse 23. I will heap upon them misfortunes. My arrows I will spend on them. What is the significance of this passage, which captures the essence of the mitzvah of writing the Sefer Torah scroll? This is some horrible stuff. So why are we going to use this as the mitzvah for writing the Torah? Well, let's write a song about it. Because the gematria of that verse is 1184. Just so happens if you take one plus one plus eight plus four, it equals 14, which is the gematria of David, which is the composer of the telling. King David says Rashi on the Pasuk makes his famous comment from the gematria. My arrows will be spent, but they, the people, will not be consumed. See Sota 9. From this Pasuk, we learn that in times of misfortune, some of B'nai Yisrael will be consumed, yet others will survive. 
And who will survive in times of trouble? Teshuva. It says, because the answer, remember, answer is Teshuva. Teshuva is found in Sefer Daniel. For it tells of terrible times, ter- terrible troubles befalling B'nai Israel before the coming of Mashiach. Note that the three times in Sefer Daniel form the word Ra'ot, which is the whole evils uh, and troubles. It says, by the way, Ra'ot is the plural of Ra, which means evil. It says, is used to describe the time of trouble. Daniel chapter 9, verses 12 through 14. In the same sefer it says, and in that time will your people be saved, all who are written in the book. Daniel 12, verse 1. And I wrote out to the side, 10 days is to Philot. So, when you look at what's going on here, it says, Sefer Daniel refers to those who are written in the Sefer Torah who will be saved, has a broader meaning referring to those who participate in the writing of a Sefer of Torah. Now, Dr. Sakal shared this from Rabbi Menachem Feldman. No matter what life brings us, we remember that we're in the middle of a song. If we keep singing, keep playing the notes, we will discover the music. We will discover that there was music all along. Rabbi Abraham Greenbaum Shlita brings down some songs are happy, some are sad, some are for entertainment, some come to tell a story, teach a lesson, some express the inner heart and soul. Unique among all songs is the song of Moshe, i.e. Shirat Hazinu, which is our parsha. Hazinu is the song of God's perfect justice. The ultimate reproof to man. So you think about the power of our prayer during these 10 days and how we're asking Hashem to inscribe and seal us in the book of life. And it's like, well, are you writing a Torah scroll right now? Are you spending your time making music to God, taking the shalom that Yeshua has granted us during this time? Are you having a meaningful emotional connection to the Torah. Now, it goes on to say that the Pasuk uh, from Shirat Hazinu with the Gematria of 1184 becomes very significant and relates to the relates to some of B'nai Yisrael being able to survive the misfortunes preceding the coming of Mashiach. They are the people who are participants in the writing of a Sefer Torah. There is a pasuk in Sefer Tehillim with the Gematria of 1184. It is Tehillim 135.18, which says, Like them will be those who make them, all who trust in them. Rav Zera 
And the Gemara Yerushalayimi notes that this pasuk refers to those who construct Avoda Zera, and not to those who worship Avoda Zera. Key difference: who is making strange worship versus who's actually doing strange worship. And it says. Those who construct Avodazera will perish by being reduced to the state of idols, as it is stated. Rob Zera said, if it had been written, like them will be those who serve them, it would be difficult. Are those who serve the sun like the sun? Are those who serve the moon like the moon? But it is written, like them will be those who make them. So it says, the Panay Moshe emphasizes the meaning of the Gemara Yerushalayim. The difficult issue was, are those who serve the sun shining like the sun, and are those who serve the moon like the moon? However, it is written, like them will be those who make them, referring to those who make an image and a form, which is ascribed to the sun and the moon, and like those images and forms, they will be. The Radak says this pasuk can refer to the time of Mashiach, as he states, it is a way of prayer, or so it will be in the future when the Redeemer will come. Those who make the idols, which we mentioned, are all those who trusted in them, will be consumed and will perish. And it says, Thus, the combined explanations of the Gemara Yerushalayimi and the Radak assert that this pasuk with the Gematria of 1184 is stating that those who produce Avodah Zerah will not survive when the Mashiach comes. That is a very powerful statement because there's a lot of people who do Avodah Zerah. They do everything but Torah observance. But the people who manufacture, who like foster up all this stuff, who construct ways of being anti-Torah, those are the ones who will actually perish when the Mashiach comes. And if you really think about what this saying, it says, B'nai Yisrael will be consumed, yet others will survive. Insinuating that there are some B'nai Yisrael who've fallen into Avodah Zerah. Yikes. Fallen into making pathways for Avodah Zerah. Do you realize that if you're Torah observant and you fall into idolatry, you have made a way for you to do so because you have refrained from the knowledge and the truth in order to put yourself in that position. So there is semi kind of sort of this path of construction so that you could do this Avodah Zerah because you're making yourself, you're making a way for you to, because you're leaving the way to make your own way of doing something. And that's not good. And to think about the fact that you should be singing the Torah, i.e. by your life, by walking in Mashiach, 
and you're like, you know what? A vote of zero is cool. That's totally my thing. I'm okay with it. Whoever made this is really smart. And it's like, you're going to go that route. That that's those who will perish. Now, the other side of that is those who are trapped in a vote of zero, those who are unaware that they're in a vote of zero. There, that's a completely different subject. And so just a a big, important thing to point out. So the conclusion here says the Pasuk from Shirat Hazinu with the Gematria of 1184 states that those who participated in the writing of the Sefer Torah will survive when the Mashiach comes. In other words, Yeshua says, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith? Will he find people still troping? It says, the Pasuk from Sefer Telim with the Gematria of 1184 that those who produce a Vodazera will not survive when the Mashiach comes. Although Pasuk from Shirat Hazinu and the Pasuk from Sefer Telim are written about antipodal behaviors, the two Pasukim parallel each other, enumerating who will survive and who will not survive when the Mashiach comes. Both Pasukim appropriately have the Gematria of 1184. So just a few comments on this passage. When you look at making Teshuvah, first of all, that there is no sacrifice for willful sin. But in Telim 51, verse 18, it says, You do not desire that I bring sacrifices, nor do you wish for burnt offerings. Commentary says, if I knew that you desired a sacrifice to atone for my sin, I would bring it. But I know that you prefer a broken and contrite heart. And indeed, I repent before you with a broken heart. Sacrifices only atone for unintentional sins. There is no sacrifice to atone for an intentional sin other than the broken and crushed heart. Even in the case of unintentional sins, the primary purpose of the Corbinot is to break the heart and cleanse it of bodily desire. And the sacrifice burns on the altar. One or and as the sacrifice burns on the altar, one is meant to perceive one's animalistic cravings, likewise being offered up. That's from the Radak. Then going down to our 135.18 says, like them shall their makers become. Radak explains that this may be interpreted as a petition or a statement of belief that when the Redeemer appears, idol worshippers will perish. In death, they will resemble their idols for they will be unable to breathe or use their mouths or eyes. Everyone who trusts in them, those who place their trust in lifeless images, deny the existence of God, the source of life, and thereby forfeit their right to enjoy life. So, when you look at what this is bringing down in value of a pasuk, 
What are you putting your trust in? Where is your prayer devoted to? And do we really understand Avodazera and its consequences? There's a lot going on in the world right now, and we cannot hope for and expect things to get better if we are not composing the song of Torah, if we're not shining forth light into the four corners of the universe. We must reveal the Torah. We must make sure that we are not walking in the ways of those who make idols. Our trust is in Hashem, and because of that, that is the picture of singing the Torah scroll. Sing the Torah with our life. And as we continue to return for Hashem, return to Hashem, especially with this Shabbat Shuvah coming up and his Yom Kippur is coming up, and then we have the intermediate days between Yom Kippur and Sukkot, this is all the final push and elevation that we built up to of really returning in our thoughts to God. Because when your thoughts are attached in one with God, it's really hard for your speech to not be or your heart to not be. Because you think about your thoughts and it's like, where do they come from? Your thoughts flow into your heart, your mouth, and it's this this cycle here. And if you keep your mind fixed and focused on Hashem, and you keep unified and connected with Him, then you begin to overflow those rivers of living waters. You begin to beshir Aleph Tav, sing forth the Aleph Tav. So the point that I love to, to say here that whatever you're going to choose to make, right? So these idol worshipers here, it says their end is like what they made. So they made these idols and they're lifeless. Think about the song of Torah that we make. The Torah we just read so a little bit ago that it is eternal. We know this is the song of God that brought forth creation. We know that we never finish the Torah. Every tractate of Talmud starts out on 2A. So you never get to read 1A or 1B, which means you never get to finish the whole entire oral Torah, nor do you ever get to finish the entire written Torah because to end the Torah, you start from Genesis chapter 2. Because we read Baraka, the last few verses, all the way through chapter 1. So by the time that next Shabbat comes up after Sukkot, we're in Parsha Bereshit or Parsha Noach. So we barely get any time to be in Vezoha Baraka or Bereshit because the Torah is continuous. So with that being said, our end is like that which we make. So if we're making a Vodazera strange worship, getting off the path of righteousness, doing the opposite of Yeshua, forsaking the righteousness that God has allowed us and seeking to establish our own, however we want to be, whether we want to say we're better than other people or not, that's what our end is going to be like. 
our end is going to be like that which we fashioned. So if we're fashioning the song of Torah, then what is the song of Torah? It's eternal. So our end will be eternal. Bezrat Hashem. It may it be Hashem's will that you're inscribed, that we are all inscribed and sealed in the book of life and for a good and sweet year. And may we be able and assisted to bring the Mashiach this year. Hakadosh Baruchu, please send Mashiach now. Shlakna Mashiach ben David. Baruch haba b'shem Adonai. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher natan lanu Torah temet, vechaye olam natabetokhenu. Baruch atah Adonai, noten ha Torah.